Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. Today, we have Hayden Hughes, a co-founder and the CEO of Alpha Impact, back, back for an emergency podcast. Hayden, I cannot thank you enough for coming back on the show on such short notice, but there's just so much going on. It's an awesome thing to do. How are you doing, by the way? Yeah, thank you. Emergency podcast. It sounds like uh, like like we've put the the light up in the sky and the Batman has come. I'm <laughs> not are. sure if I'm that important. That's what you but, are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm very good. Thank you. Um, we've been uh, so at Alpha Impact. We're a trading firm, social trading firm. We yep. have customers who copy trade expert traders and uh, won't won't blow my own uh, you know or bang my own drum too much, but just to say. We have some people that have made uh, been consistently making money throughout this bear market. So um, I try to stay a little bit ahead of the pack in terms of what I can do, and uh, I won't go too far in detail on that. But uh, it's been a crazy couple months, so lots of stuff is happening, and it's good to uh, good to come back and have a chat. Yeah, I really want to know, right? So I follow the market, but I'm not as deeply involved in it as you are. And I'm curious, like when you take a step back, what does it look like to you now? I think I can't remember the first time we talked, but it's over a year ago for sure, right? And yeah. a lot of stuff has changed, but like, how would you describe the current environment and how are you looking at it per se? Sure. Well, I think, um, great question. And, and look, I think it's, it's very important to be thinking about these things. It's also important to kind of question this narrative. You always have to question the, the narrative, yeah. right? And I think when we, when we initially spoke, it was kind of one of those, like things are going up and they're only ever going to go up, uh, <laughs> you know, vibes yeah. to use the language of the young people yep. in my office who don't think I'm cool anymore. But uh, <laughs> the, the vibe was that it's just going to go up forever. And now the vibe, um, the sentiment has has substantially changed. And so we were in several months of kind of down only where it was just every single week was printing a red candle. Right. Um, we've seen some recovery since then. Obviously, um, you know, I, I kind of feel like the market has run out of things to be scared of. And so that's fueled a little relief rally, which we've seen on Wall Street as well as in crypto markets. Yeah. Um, there's been some crazy stuff happening on the lending side of things. Um, you've, you know, your listeners will no doubt be aware that Celsius and CoinFlex and Babel Finance and Three Arrows Capital all affected in one way or another by the market, whether that was the UST and Terra collapse or whether it was just... yeah quite frankly, bad risk management. I forgot um, about all... Terra, actually, go ahead. Yeah. In I this mean, vibe, as you would say. The, that was the kind of first nail in the coffin. Um, yeah. But I guess, you know, the themes that, that have really emerged have been, number one, algorithmic stable coins. Um, still a lot of work to be done. We might still be at the white whiteboard phase, not at the, you know, 100 billion market cap phase. Yeah. Um, Number two is that the risk management, I mean, this has really been all these lending platforms blowing up um, has been a failure of risk management across the industry. And, you know, in any bank or financial institution, if you're giving a loan, they, they tend to ask two questions, right? One, what happens if this person can't repay the debt and doesn't make their payments? And two, what happens if this collateral that we've been given substantially declines in value? And those, those things just didn't happen. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, the good times are here. Everything's going to be great forever. Have a loan of $50 million. I know you're good for it. You don't need to give me any collateral. I know Everything your mom kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, you did well this one time. So clearly you're going to do well forever. And I have nothing to worry about. Can you dig a little bit deeper into some of the way this lending looks? And, and I'll, I'll tell you why. You know, you look at some of the advertisements for Celsius, right? And they say something like, 
you know, give us your Bitcoin, we'll lend it out, we guarantee you X percentage. I don't remember what the percentage is, right? Can you run through mm -hmm. exactly how that lending works so that people that aren't yeah, sure. involved in the crypto space can actually know how that works and then what the the implications were of this collapse, yeah? Yeah, so so the way that this works, customers basically are set, are asked, hey, you've got some assets, they're sitting around, they're not doing anything for you, give those assets to to whoever, right? We don't do this, but let's just pretend that we're the lending, let's pretend we're the Celsius, right? Or the Nexo or the BlockFi. Yep. Um, give us the assets. We've got a black box. We'll go do some stuff with those assets, make a higher return. Maybe we make 20%. And maybe we give you eight or 10 or six or nine or 11, whatever the number is. So what is, what is that's the, black the basic. Box, what's the black box doing though? Is that black box going out and trading? Because it's taking risks yeah, with so, your assets, yeah? So there's there's two there's two setups. Um, one is that the firm, whoever it is, is engaged in trading, right? And yep. the kind of classical trade that used to be done to kind of create this yield was something called the basis trade. So it's a futures arbitrage where you're going long and short the same asset but slightly different products simultaneously. So that's the kind of traditional way of doing it. Wow. Okay. Where you would be taking advantage of a gap between the prices of two very closely related assets. That's the kind of the old school way. And just by the way, that basis trade that I've just described was technically what we call risk neutral. So you were long Bitcoin and short Bitcoin at the same time, Yeah. Um, which I know sounds crazy, but does actually work when the futures curve is out of whack, which it has been forever in Bitcoin uh, and other digital assets. So that trade has been viewed as pretty safe and yep. you've seen a lot of firms pop up and they literally they just take your money and okay you're giving me ethereum right so now i have some ethereum spot and i can go and short the ethereum future at some future point in time that matures at whatever september 1st or october 30th and those assets converge so it's it's technically a pretty safe trade because you're long and short the same thing at the same time are these futures listed futures or are they OTC futures, if you know what I mean? Yeah, so they're they're listed. They're on Binance and, and FTX. There's an order book you can get in and out. They're highly, highly liquid. Um, so that's the kind of traditional way. It's yep. this basis trading, right? And in a market where I can make 13%, um, you might give me your Ethereum and I give you eight or nine. Yep. You're making money. I'm making money. Everything's good. Everybody wins. Um, but there's another, um, I guess, level beneath that where um, you give money to the firm, the BlockFi or the Nexo or the Celsius, and they do all kinds of crazy degen risk stuff on DeFi, going into liquidity pools and going into, it seems, Terra. Um, so that's the kind of the, you know, what we might call the ninja black box where you're doing everything under the sun and as long as you can pay the customer out, then no one really cares how much risk you're taking because you're responsible for making things go forward. That's the kind of door number two, yeah. Yeah, and what's the implication of the market going down or up, or does it matter? Well, under that scenario, you actually have no idea what the firm is doing, right? So <laughs> I might be a very responsible, diligent trader or risk manager, and I'm really monitoring things, right? I might have some exposure where I am I'm not risk neutral. I'm actually long or short or whatever the case may be, but I might be a very well-disciplined trader, which right. would mean that you can trust me. Yep. Or I might be an absolute knucklehead with no sense of risk management whatsoever. 
And the scary thing is, Michael, you will have no way of knowing the difference because guess what? My marketing is going to say the same thing, whether the trading on the back end is run by super smart people or super crazy people. But is this the case of, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it kind of is that it, like in an up market, it's easy to make money. So I can offer you 8% interest because I know, I don't know, but I feel like Bitcoin's going to go from 20,000 to 60,000. And when that happens, giving you 8% return when I'm making 25 or 30% is simplistic, right? And it, in a way, it doesn't matter if it's me, my dead grandmother trading or some super sophisticated person. But as long as it's going up, it's easy. But when it starts getting more volatile, when it's going up and down, and that black box doesn't have enough history to know how to trade in that type of volatility, that if the person who's trading for me, like let's say I give money, like you said, to Celsius, but let's say Celsius then gives it to 3AC. So now I have two levels of disintermediation between me, and I don't know what either one of them is doing, but I do know that now I'm leveraged to two different firms, maybe two different strategies, and that the likelihood of that money coming back to me is just lower because... I don't even know what they're doing with it. And if you think about who's buying the crypto, they also run the risk that they're not informed either. And they're just going, hey, it goes up. My uncle told me it goes up. I give my money to Celsius. I keep getting 8% return. So it must be working. And then it just goes away. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, that's, that's the third path, right? Is that you can, and you have no way of knowing if you're facing a Celsius or a Nexo or a BlockFi or a Voyager. Right. Is it a responsible, well-run trading shop that's doing this risk-neutral stuff? Is it a crazy trading shop that's doing all kinds of crazy stuff? Or have they just given your money to someone else, right? right? And this is where firms like 3AC come in. And they were, at the time, one of the biggest hedge funds in the space. And they had an insatiable desire for liquidity. And so they'd say, look, we'll, we'll borrow from you and we'll pay you whatever, right? 12%, 16%, 18%, right. 11%, 9%. And if, if I'm the platform paying you six and I can get nine somewhere else, sure. that's a back-to-back -back that I don't need to do much thinking, right? right. Um, so you would hope, again, that the risk management department of whatever firm would say, okay, well, we can't give too much to one counterparty, right? Yeah. We're going to give 5% to 3AC and 5% to Genesis and 5% to the next guys. I mean, Voyager, heck, they were publicly traded and they their exposure to, to 3AC was 60.5%, $665 billion to one firm. So- But, but let's be clear um, here, $660 billion in a market cap that was at its height, only $3 trillion. Sorry, million, million, not billion, not Thank billion. You. Sorry, sorry, that's better. <laughs> but even so, even $660 million is still, what would that be out of a trillion? It's not uh, one-fifth. It's still, 6%. yeah, it's still 2%. It's still big, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that's what effectively happened, right? And you had uh, Celsius, who was heavily exposed to, uh, to Luna and UST. So then, you know, you start to concentrate risk on top of risk. And you had Anchor, the Anchor Protocol. And all you had to do to make money on Anchor Protocol was deposit your UST, the Terra USD equivalent, and you could get 20%. And nobody thought to ask, well, how is this actually generated, right? <laughs> and it, if anyone did ask and stopped to ask, you'd realize, oh, well, they just print new UST to pay you. And you can always sell the UST to get Luna. But you know, this, this relies on there being a growing market for Luna 
to be able to capture the growing market for uh, for UST that's just being created out of thin air. So the moment that the the supply of Luna stops growing at 20% per year, you're actually kind of in trouble. Yeah, I wouldn't even say, I mean, it sounds super Ponzi to me. I hate to use those words, right? Because it's so trite, but it's like, it's like putting trades in a drawer, right? It's almost like Bernie Madoff style, where it's like, don't worry, the guys who put in early get their money back, the guys who come in later, they get some of their money back, the guys who come in at the end get nothing. And then at some point yeah. people figure it out. Cause Luna, like the Terra stuff feels like, I'll just keep printing more and giving more. And because there's no central bank involved, it doesn't cause any other kind of inflation in the real world, right? So you can keep doing yeah. it until people realize you can't at some level, no? Yeah, I mean, that was the, that was the, the, fatal, uh, the fatal weakness of the industry. There were all these, I mean, there were all of these, uh, so there's, there's two levels, right? So the first level is that crypto is, is in many respects a kind of, crazy dreamland where fortunes are made and some people make money. And some I still don't understand why NFTs, you know, why the monkey NFT is worth more than the, the, what is it? The llama NFT. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a field I'm not going to go into, but Good. Um, so crypto goes through these crazy, yep. uh, you know, boom and bust cycles every four years. We're currently in the, it feels like we're, I guess, 30 to 40% through this bust cycle, which means we should start going flat to sideways soon. Um, but so crypto goes through these crazy cycles. And then on top of that, you had in 2020, um, a ton of liquidity get printed from all of the central banks all around the world, right. taking a concerted effort not to, you know, kill the economy over COVID, yep. which probably was the right thing to do, but had the unfortunate side effect of expanding the monetary supply so that everything you have that's denominated in dollars, the denominator just got bigger. That means that the uh, assets tended to increase in price. So there were kind of, it's kind of a double whammy. You had both of those things happen, the crazy crypto dreamland plus all the extra liquidity. And that drove things to new heights. I mean, Luna was $140. It's crazy. Yeah, and now it's zero. Um, but if you notice this stuff, if you're in the market every single day, right? At some point, it's got to become obvious to someone. Was this obvious to you? Uh, so I'll, I'll give you the background. Um, Go ahead. In early May, I started realizing that the something was wrong with Luna and UST. Um, so like many people in the industry, I shorted uh, Luna. I didn't realize that UST was going to have a problem. I just thought it was a Luna issue. So I shorted Luna um, from, you know, 80 down to 45, thinking that was the end. Went back in again, shorted it, tried to get back in way too early. Um, that was just the kind of start. And we had some of the traders on the Alpha Impact platform saying, hey, this is this could be the start of the end and I'm selling everything. And there was a big rush of, of traders on our platform who basically told the community of Alpha Impact, right. we're selling everything. And they sold Luna, they sold everything. Um, so that was kind of the start. But then a few weeks later, I started realizing that since the collapse of UST, which happened, it felt like overnight, but actually it happened over three or four days, um, maybe five, the all of the leverage had had compressed and so the ability of we talked a little bit about the the basis trade yep. and being a function of futures yep. and i'm not going to get too far in the weeds on the math but it's safe to say that in the two weeks between kind of may 6th and 7th when this whole thing started with luna and terra mm -hmm. um to two weeks in so let's call it like may 21st the ability for these firms to generate yield for their clients was dramatically reduced yeah, so Previously, you could have made 21% or 18% or 
all of a sudden now you could make like four. And you would expect in that situation, these firms to lower their interest rates that they pay customers. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you, right? Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to lose money. That's not my core business. So why wouldn't, if I'm in the business of taking loans, of course I would change the interest rates. And we saw it, something like, you know, and I gave a keynote on June 1st saying, okay. I said many things, but one of the predictions I made was that there's a problem in the lending markets. And I looked at it and I put a, a slide up and it's, it's on my LinkedIn where I said, here's the four firms out of the 20 or so that we're tracking that have lowered the rates they pay customers. And here's the, I don't remember how many it was exactly. Here's the 16 that haven't. Right. And those firms had way higher interest rates. And the only reason I could think about that it would make sense for firms to leave the interest rates there is if they had a massive hole in their balance sheet that they would not be able to service all the withdrawals from clients. So can and, I just jump here? So you you think yeah, that sure. they were worried? You think they were worried that if they said, "Hey, we're going from let's," I'm just going to make up numbers, twelve percent to six percent, that people would be like, "Oh gosh, well, I'm just going to move my money." That's just way too big a drop. Yeah. So I'm just going to take yeah. my money out and move it somewhere else. And they were just worried that if they said that, that people would take the money out and that they could not fulfill those withdrawals. Yeah. So That's my thesis. Insight. That my thesis that I kind of started with in I would say mid-May is was that the only reason it makes sense for these firms to lose money is that yep. they're actually losing money slowly, right. right? And before June, there was still some optimism. This was before 3AC. This was, you know, it was still the market was still digesting all of this stuff. And so there was a perception that maybe the, the good times will come back. Um, that became less and less likely as time went on. But there was still a moment in time where we were thinking, okay. Markets went down, they're come right back. And so the only reason it would make sense for those guys to bleed slowly is that they were actually underwater, did not have enough to pay all of their clients, but they didn't want to prompt a bank run and scare people into withdrawing. So they just left their rates there. So I said that on stage on June 1st, I had some people, and actually there was someone from, um, I'm not going to say who, but there was someone from Celsius that was supposed to be at that conference on June 1st yeah. and they pulled him. Sure. Um, and I said that on stage and I didn't, I didn't disclose who, which firm it was because yeah, yeah. I didn't want to be pointing fingers. But so, you know, I think this was actually in the works since May and I kind of looked at it and uh, I thought this just isn't right. So yeah, scary times. But if you look um, at, that, I, I did this a couple of days ago. If you look at the Zipmax chart of their own token, yeah. it looks like somebody knew something in May, right? I posted that on Twitter a couple of days ago or yesterday. I can't remember. Like if you look at it now, it was, you know, doing its normal thing. It was trending down, but the whole market was trending down. And then it just like fell out of bed. Oh, yeah. In May, like May right? May 2nd. I'm looking at it. Yeah. yeah. So it almost looks like somebody knew something back then that maybe you didn't know or I didn't know, but they definitely knew. And somebody started aggressive. And you can look at the volume spike as well. No? And that's I'm the tell for me. When the yeah. volume spikes and the price moves, that means somebody knows something, right? Because they're like, I don't care. I'm price insensitive. I'm position sensitive. And they're just like getting out. Look at it, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm just loading it here. You know what it actually looks like? Um, it looks like the chart of Bitcoin in 2018. But what it really looks like, let me just load the volume so I can uh, yeah, you see, see, that see what it, it means, yeah? Oh, I see what you're saying. So, so what I'm seeing here, I'm looking at the, uh, the Bitfinex chart. It yep. looks like from, I guess, tw January 24th until um, May 4th, 
that's when uh, it looks like they were just trying to hold the line in terms of a steady price. It looks yeah. like it's kind of like two, $2 and 80 something cents. That's the, and I would bet that their market makers, um, who I won't identify because they're, they're, they're our friends too, it's but okay. uh, their market makers were trying to hold the line here. And then something happens on May 4th, it looks like. Yep. And big candle up. down. And then it just, that's just, that's the start of the end. And then the volumes actually increase as the price declines after that. Exactly. So um, this is what happens for any liquid stock, right? So if I try to protect a price, because I have a vested interest in protecting the price. I'm just happy to accumulate, 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 right? So I get a bigger position, the positions then get concentrated. And historically what happens in illiquid assets is that as the, <clears throat> as the um, position gets concentrated, the rest of the market just kind of disappears. So the bid goes away in most cases, right? Yep. And then people just have to start hitting lower and lower and lower bids. The volume massively spikes as people that were short start going good enough for me they put in a cheeky low bid they get hit and then as long as there's some liquidity there the person who's trying to protect that price goes i don't care anymore because it could go so much lower because i'm the only one buying and then it yeah. just drops out of bed yeah 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 that's i mean keep in mind the uh the market maker who shall not be identified they uh they would have got hit around yeah. the same time yeah. so we're we're talking about may 4th right the this market maker reportedly had some substantial losses beginning three to four days after right um after this period so you have to wonder um if if that's related but uh can't comment too much on that but but yeah it's definitely very interesting looking at the the zipmex price and uh and look they've, they've just closed off their uh withdrawals a few days ago they've said that it was because of a counterparty babel finance i guess so they they did what what i think is not a terribly risky thing, which is find a company you trust who has presumably risk management in place and give it to them. Um, and look, for what it's worth, I haven't seen Babel Finances. I don't know if it's Babel or Babel. Yeah, I haven't seen I don't know either. Babel, Babel. I haven't seen Babel's balance sheet. They could have just had one small loan to, uh, to one counterparty that didn't go well. Um, but apparently, uh, Zipmex had given a hundred million to Babel, which is a very high number. You know, it could have been uh, Babel Finance that had a small problem or a big problem. You never know, right? So yep. we don't know the scale of the of the issue on the Zipmex side, and we don't know the scale of the issue on the Babel side, and we don't know the scale of the issue on whoever Babel had given money to, on the assumption that Babel had exposure to another third party, um, or but we don't even know. Um, so. Any one of those three scenarios where they were doing responsible stuff that dried up, they were doing risky stuff that the market went against them, or they gave it to some third party who might have been doing God knows what. Right. It's very challenging to know at this stage which of those kind of paths um, you know, Zitmex is in. But what do we think happens to these companies, particularly because if you think about like, like Bitcoin, blockchain, cryptocurrency, this stuff's not going away. Right. I mean, at some mm -hmm. level, we can argue about where it is today and what it really means. But the future of the financial world is digital. Mm -hmm. it just it just Very is. True. It just is. Right. And I don't care either way. Like, I don't have a I don't have a dog in this race. Yeah. So I don't really care. But I'm curious what you think about, particularly at these early stages of the development of this market. What happens to firms that just stop doing withdrawals? Do you know what I mean? Do people go back afterwards and go, OK, I trust you now? You know what I mean? Like does Celsius come back? Does Zipmex come back? Does 3AC come back? 
Like, what happens, do you think? Well, um, I think... So, I, I think if there's something like... Um, and, you know, this is a really weird comparison to make, and I'm sorry in advance if it comes across strangely, but I almost think of it like, uh, you know, an airline crash, right? There's a, there's a shock, they investigate for a long time, things don't get resolved for a very long time. So I think it's important to remember these, these issues involve complex financial dealings between yeah. sometimes one, two, three, four, five, six counterparties. And, you know, what, what effectively happens legally when you declare bankruptcy, I know you know this as a banker, um, me from the legal side, but you effectively get some shield where you get protection yep. from lawsuits from yep. people that you owe money to, right? And I think what will happen is, um, I won't comment on, on any individual firm specifically, but let's say I was in the shoes of, of you know, Babel or 3AC or Voyager or Nexo or Celsius, whoever, um, I, would, I would be trading furiously on this market volatility trying to make as much back as I could. There's still lots of ways to make money in this market. Sure, I mean, volatility and, is great for trading, yeah. Oh, totally, totally, right? And so there, I mean, it is a mathematical possibility that some of these firms who are now bankrupt actually make enough back due to this crazy volatility to cover their debts in full. So if I'm a trading firm that's paused withdrawals, my trading team would be up. I mean, just to give you an example, Terraform Labs, you know, the Terra guys, yep. they're advertising for traders here in Singapore. They're trying to hire. Um, I'm, uh, okay. you know, I'm pretty busy. I'm happy with what I'm doing, but, uh, but, but they're looking, right? And so I think that the case would be that these guys are working hard, you know, canceled holidays, trying to make as much back as they can right. with the hope that they can actually restore everyone. And if you can restore everyone, you open up the spigot for withdrawals, you'll take a massive cut. Your your business will be, um, I would say, down. It would be very hard for you to regain the trust after that. But so. keep in mind, crypto is pretty forgiving. Um, you know, Bitfinex, you know, under indictment from the government in New York, they went and did this token, the Leo token. They raised $900 million pretty quickly. So I think there's a narrative that the crypto industry is one where we can buckle together if we believe in the cause. And it, it's conceptually possible, certainly not today, but it is possible that let's say Celsius figures out how to you know, refund people and get enable withdrawals again. If they can do that and make the withdrawals happen, and then at some point again, they're gonna have some innovative product, they're gonna have some reason for someone to trust them. And all it takes is one crazy market cycle for people to forget about this. So I think it's not, beyond the realm of possibility. Uh, but within the next six months, let's say all the lenders just said, okay, we're, we're good to go. Withdrawals are back open. I do not think that any of those firms would be able to get any trust from users uh, for a very long time. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think the airline analogy is an interesting one. The only difference for me is that when a plane crashes, just the people on the plane die. Do you know what I mean? So it's pretty concentrated. Not that that's good, right? We don't want anyone right. to die. But when financial markets, they're so interconnected that almost everybody dies, right? Like nobody kind of gets out and goes, oh, that thing bounced off the ground. I'm still okay. So it's slightly mm -hmm. different because it's, it's much more widespread. But, but in a way, you're right. If they come up with another great financial product, people are very forgiving. On the other hand, I would say this, that if 
the digital and the crypto financial markets develop in the same way that traditional financial markets have over time, that the trust concentration is going to be super high and you're going to end up with like five firms like Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs. Do you know what I mean? And that firms like Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns are just going to end up going away. And I don't think it matters what the names are on the door, but the firms that have the least amount of trust associated with them and the ones where there are runs are the ones I think that are going to go away. Just based on the things that I've seen in the past, right? I mean, at the end of the day, when Warren Buffett came and gave Goldman Sachs or invested $5 billion, or was it $4 billion in Goldman Sachs, he could have done the yeah, same five. thing for... He could have done the same thing for Lehman and just said, nah, I'm not doing it, right? The first comment I would make is firstly that this behavior of crazy risk-taking by some, some, let's just say, over-caffeinated, to use a, a pleasant term, <laughs> uh, finance bros, this is not the first time, right? <laughs> you had, time. I mean, close to the first time. I know. And, and so, I mean, even like, let's forget about the 1800s and the 1700s, like 1907, 1929, the 1930s. This, this has gone on uh, 1940s, 19, I forget what, what it was in the 50s, but, you know, 79, 87, uh, 94, 99, you know, the, the dot com bubble, the housing bubble caused by, excessive greed, right? People that want to make a lot of money yep. and caused by, um, you know, people that design new crazy investment structures and ways to do things. So I don't think in the continuum of human behavior, crypto has pushed the envelope. It's a different tech stack that we're using. Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all. But the other, the other outcome for that, if you go back and look at this historically, kind of except for what happened during, I don't even know what you call it, the global financial crisis in 2007. Yeah. I mean, we could spend hours talking about why that was just such a cluster mess, right? Because for those yeah. people that were in the market at the time, you just kind of looked around and went, so I'm making a bet on the bet that you've made, on the bet that that guy made, which is a reverse <laughs> bet on the upside down bet that that other guy made. I mean, that's not what the financial markets are there for, right? They're there to, <laughs> no, but they're there to do efficient allocations of capital, not so people can make those bets. But the point is that that's the only time really where the regulators didn't come in and go, okay, we're going to break this up and break that up and re-regulate and Glass-Steagall and do all this stuff. They just kind of went, I don't know, my buddy's working at the SEC right now, so we're just going to call these things a different thing. We're not going to call them CDOs anymore. We're going to call them something else, and then everybody's equal, right? And there's no clawback and nothing bad happens to anybody. But do you think that there's going to be a deeper look from the regulators in the space where the crypto people are operating that will change the way they're allowed to operate? Like, should you really be able to offer anybody 21% interest in a world where banks are offering two? Yeah, I mean, part of the part of the interest rate equation is a function of how inefficient crypto continues to be. And I think the one constant that I've observed over the five years in the industry that I've been in, um, almost exactly five years now, is that this is becoming more mainstream and the pace at which this is becoming more mainstream has increased right. um, i had lunch with someone from an insurance company earlier today who runs ventures and they have i won't say the size of the billion the balance sheet but it's hundreds of billions of dollars sure and they've allocated and they hired this young guy to go invest in crazy DeFi stuff oh, because no. of an appreciation that this is a new tech stack and it's not going anywhere oh no um but just to come back to your question, I think yeah. regulation is inevitable. Um, you know, the Europeans are talking about it, although 
come on, when when did they ever lead the regulation? I guess the the GDPR thing, they've done some great things that now require me to click 52 cookies notifications when I go to any website. But um, I think the, the regulation- closed, by the way, but go ahead. Oh, I mean, like reject the cookies, seriously, who cares? Who like, cares? I, I mean, I taking really it for years care. anyway, like I'm, I have I know, no pain I know. Yeah. It's like, what, what tangible benefit is this gonna cause me? Zero. So, um, so I think the stable coins will be the first thing. And I've, I've talked a lot about this. This was one of my predictions I made in June. I said, the regulators are coming. Um, I think the Europeans will hum and haw and try to come to some kind of framework. Um, look, the reality is in an interconnected financial world, um, it's very easy to not be quote unquote domiciled in a certain place. Sure. If, if, I'm, in, if I'm a European exchange, um, I could set up an entity in Dubai and that that is a structuring solution that allows me not to have to be under European regulations. It's there's always ways around it. Yeah. I think, um, and by the way, that's not to suggest that that's a good thing to be doing. I'm just saying that this is the practical reality of structuring. But um, the I think it'll come from the U.S. Uh, they the U.S. appears to be totally gridlocked. Um, the I mean, our U.S. lawyers have basically said not only are you know these changes not having in, happening in 2022. They're also not happening in 2023. And I'm like, well, that's a pretty pessimistic statement to be making given we're only in July, right. but they're closer to Capitol Hill than I am and certainly than we are. Right. So um, I think stable coins will be the thing that gets regulated. I think it's inevitable that if you have a stable coin that becomes worth a trillion dollars, that's a huge risk to the global financial system. Yeah. And so um, stable coins will be the first one. That'll That's for sure gonna be what gets regulated. Um, what that actually looks like I'm not sure what what it will be, but I know that stable coins, it, it will be something along the lines of actually, if you take deposits of stable coins, we now think that you need to be covered by the US banking regulations. Yeah, um, or if you're like issuing FDIC a stable thing, coin. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So I think I think that'll be the path they take. Um, and I think that the the kind of saber rattling will will start um, probably not this year, but I would say early 2023. The U.S. government, whether it's the FDIC or the Fed or one of the state regulators, someone will come out and do what the SEC did in 2017 for ICOs and right. say, "We don't think this is kosher, and I don't think this. We don't think this is a good thing for the world to have, yep. and we're intending to regulate it." From that point on, it doesn't matter if they actually pass regulation because there's going to be a perception that yeah. we better change our act. Yeah, I mean, the key to all these markets is not what's what is happening is what people anticipate might happen Correct. and then that's going to change their behavior and we should do this more often right we should just come back sure. and have this conversation more often because it's really informative not just for me but for the people that listen but i don't want to give too much information at one time i'm going to let you go this was super awesome and look i'll say this to you if you're posting something that's really thoughtful and really long form and you want to dig a little bit deeper in conversational format let me know i'd love to have you come back yeah sure i'd love to i, I post pretty frequently. So I'll, uh, I'll take you up on that. Awesome. Thank you, Hayden. This was really incredible. Okay. Thanks.